so we are essentially a water planet but a lot of people still don't realize that regardless of where they live they have the oceans to thank for the oxygen that they breathe the global ocean absorbs about 25% of all of the carbon dioxide emissions so the oceans are a buffer against the harmful impacts of climate change they're buying time for us welcome to the esri and the science of war podcast you just heard Esri Chief Scientist Don Wright explain how the ocean helps us fight climate change. The convergence of the 50th anniversary of Earth Day with the current pandemic crisis puts a spotlight on the challenges we face in our relationship with the physical world, both natural and human-made. To mark this year's Earth Day, Dr. Wright reminds us that, even in troubled times, our species is part of something bigger and that we have the ability to understand and manage our economic and natural systems in harmony. Here, Esri CMO Mariana Cantor lead this crucial conversation on sustainable prosperity. Don, hi, and welcome to the podcast, Esri and the Science Aware. Thank you. So excited to, to be here. So I'm looking forward to talking with you about conservation and sustainability as we're approaching the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. But of course, I'd like to start with your perspective as a scientist on this unprecedented COVID-19 pandemic. Is there evidence in the scientific community that this natural disaster is linked to the underlying shifts in climate or human behavioral dynamics? I think it's very easy for, for people to, to make that linkage. But one thing we know for sure is that climate change can make it worse. So uh, particularly given that it's a, a severe, acute respiratory condition, and it's a new disease that we've not seen before. We don't have a vaccine for it. So people who are living in areas where air pollution is already an issue, particularly in areas where we can see how climate change has uh, reduced the uh, air quality in many areas, especially urban areas, it's just making the pandemic worse. It's increasing the misery for, for people who are who are in those areas. Speaking of air quality, we're also seeing evidence that measures taken to slow the spread, like sheltering at home and social distancing, have had positive environmental impacts. Are these effects significant? I would say yes and no. And this is a really fascinating uh, outcome. And it's something that's actually really good to be thinking of, given that this is Earth Month and with Earth Day coming. Uh, one of the things that we have seen is from satellite imagery. So, for instance, a lot of people are referring to and talking about two satellites. There's the NASA ARA satellite and the European Space Agency Sentinel-5 satellite. And they have been taking readings or giving us imagery of nitrogen dioxide in the atmosphere. And the big image that everybody is talking about is the difference between the nitrogen dioxide levels uh, over China in January 2020, as opposed to February 2020. So when you look at those images, and if you do a swipe between January and February, you do see the marked decrease in nitrogen dioxide over that area. This is also reflected globally. We, we have seen about a 25% drop in global nitrogen dioxide levels. And nitrogen dioxide is often associated with vehicle traffic, especially diesel trucks. 
as well as power plants. So it's, it's clear to see that when China shut down because of the coronavirus, but also because of their Lunar New Year, when a lot of their factories closed for the celebration, we could see that drop. Now, the downside of something like that, though, you would think, okay, that's great. But something like that is not a long-term solution in terms of reducing carbon emissions. And the downside is that after the pandemic, uh, all of that industrial and vehicle activity is likely to go back to business as usual. So we're likely to see the industrial production ramp right back up and then some uh, as the crisis passes. So what we are hoping for, especially in the scientific community, is that we will still have to face the fact that we need to get to sustainable changes in our industries and in our human behavior overall. So we need to still be thinking about increasing the efficiency of our power plants, uh, of our vehicles, replacing fossil fuels with clean energy, drawing carbon down into the soil, all of these effects. That's going to really make the, the difference. Do you think that this sort of unintended experiment where we saw, like you're saying, 25% drop in global carbon emissions is something that could impact policy or future behavior? And actually, in addition to everything you've mentioned, reducing human movement to some extent, or is that a fantasy? I I would like to think that it would make a difference. Maybe it will. It's really hard to predict something like that. For instance, we are in lockdown here in California, and we are used to going back and forth to work to our offices, and, and that is definitely going to continue once this, this passes. So what we consider to be the normal human movements, we have to go to work, we have to go to the store. Some of us may want to take a trip to a national park like Yosemite. And as an aside, people not coming to Yosemite, the bears have come back. The bear population has quadrupled <laughs> since since the pandemic has started because the humans have not been in the way. But I, I think seriously, we're still going to need to think about how we are going to change our behaviors and innovate. Hopefully there will be some companies, some organizations that will use this as an opportunity to innovate for the future rather than just to tighten their grip on past behaviors and do business as usual. So again, there, this is a great opportunity for, for many companies or organizations to think about, you know, how can we really focus on clean, renewable energy? How can we increase our energy efficiency? Uh, what is going to be the, the landscape, so to speak, for creating a clean energy jobs? So, that, so mm -hmm. this is a, a decision uh, that I think, that I hope a lot of organizations will, will think about now that we are really focused on this. It's interesting. You mentioned the bear population quadrupling as soon as the human intervention in the in nature receded, as well as this 25% drop in carbon emissions and so on. It speaks to the incredible resilience of nature, which is certainly not to make us complacent about it, but to have hope that if we actually do implement innovation, as you say, 
and change the way that we have a relationship with the earth, we could actually heal it. Would you agree yeah. with that? Yeah. Oh, I would, I would definitely agree. In fact, a lot of people are thinking about the whole coronavirus thing as an issue that's separate from nature and uh, that's separate from Earth Day or, or Earth Month. And it's actually not when you think about it. So we do know the scientific community now agrees pretty much that the new, this new coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2 is the name of the virus and uh, the disease is COVID-19 that it causes. Anyway, the, the coronavirus was uh, very likely to have originated in bats. And one thing uh, about this is that we, through our activities, through our urbanization, through the, the ways that we treat wildlife, we are disrupting their habitat or destroying their habitat. And so species such as bats have to shift their distribution accordingly. And sometimes as they move to get away from what is disrupting them or what is killing them, uh, they sometimes it brings them and their diseases closer to where we are, closer to where people are. So in a warming climate, are expanding and shifting their ranges so that there is a spillover of viruses from the animal to the human population. So that's a very important uh, Earth Day message, I think. Uh, I want to talk about a subject that's a passion for you, the deep ocean. Uh, you're a world-renowned expert and an explorer from surface to seafloor. So how is the ocean, its health, its condition important pretty much to human existence? <laughs> this is a, a subject that we could do a whole podcast on, so you'll have to stop me if I, if I, if I won't uh, stop talking here. But yes, uh, thank you for asking uh, this question. And I think it would be helpful just for, for listeners to hear a few statistics about the oceans, and there are many organizations, the, the United Nations being chief uh, among them, uh, but there's also a, a broad panel of leaders, leaders of state. So uh, Canada, many countries in Europe, uh, East Asia, uh, and so on, including some of our top scientists in the United States, uh, they're called the high-level panel. And it's a high-level panel for a sustainable economy. And I think they've put together some of the best messaging about why we should care about the oceans and why it's important for, for business as well. So many people know that the oceans cover about 71% of the surface of the planet. So we are essentially a water planet. That is for sure. But a lot of people still don't realize that regardless of where they live, they have the oceans to thank for the oxygen that they breathe because due to processes that take place on the surface of the ocean, that generates about 50% of the oxygen that we breathe globally. Uh, the ocean is also home to the largest biosphere on the planet. So that essentially means that it's home to 50 to 80% of all life on Earth. And there's still much more that we need to explore. That's that's at our current understanding uh, of the ocean. And we have way, way, way more to explore there. A big climate change story that's associated with the ocean is that 
the global ocean absorbs about 25% of all of the carbon dioxide emissions, and it captures about 90% of the additional heat generated from those emissions. So the oceans are really our buffer against the harmful impacts of climate change. They're buying time for us. The oceans are on the front lines uh, of climate change from that standpoint, and they're starting to to pay the price now because we're seeing because of warming uh, in the in the oceans, there are more of these severe storms. Uh, the The oceans are becoming more acidic, so that's damaging to coral reefs and other marine ecosystems. It's causing uh, fish stocks to decline or to shift to places that are very, very bad for, for these fish. So uh, the oceans are really a foundation for the life uh, on this planet and for a healthy planet. On April 22nd is the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. And what strikes me in our conversation is that the conservation conversation, preservation conversation is not only one of technology, but is also one of understanding, as you put it, but also attitude. It's almost a shift in mindset of relating to the earth and its resources instead of exploitation to one of collaboration, let's say. So how has, from your perspective, how has our uh, relationship to the earth changed over time and how should it continue to change? forward? Well, I think our, our relationship is, has gotten closer because of the knowledge that we've gained about the Earth. And it's through all of these great communicators over the years, such as the National Geographic and Jacques Cousteau and uh, all of these cable channels uh, on TV, uh, public television that are showing us how the Earth was formed what the earth is like, showing us places that we would never be able to go ourselves, giving us uh, facts and figures about different species, uh, the beauty and the sheer terror of some of these places. I think that uh, has really uh, changed, changed us for the better. And even something like last year was really, I thought, a special year because of how we were Harkening back to 1969, uh, 50 years ago, uh, Apollo 11, when Apollo 11 was able to uh, land uh, the lunar module on the moon. And I think it made a lot of us think about Apollo 8 the year before. And there's that beautiful photo called Earthrise that was taken by astronaut William Anders uh, he was an Apollo 8 astronaut, and they took that photo on Christmas Eve, and it reached the world, and it showed it showed us from the surface of the moon, uh, the Earth, the Earth as that little blue blue marble. And Anders even said, "We set out to explore the moon, but instead we discovered the Earth." And that one photograph, it said by some. In fact, there's a man, uh, Robert Poole, who wrote a whole book about it. That one photograph launched the whole environmental movement and it, it's part of what people think about uh, when they celebrate uh, Earth Day but I think it's one of the examples of how 
uh, photographs, uh, videos, all of these things that are teaching us about the earth has really changed our uh, attitude. With, certainly among young people, the young activists like Greta Thunberg, who is just amazing, the, the whole youth conservation movement, it certainly gives me a lot of hope. But even something like our Esri Living Atlas of the World, where you can interact with with these data, you are exposed to authoritative, beautiful maps that have already been made for you. There are uh, apps that are associated to allow you to uh, explore and, and interact with the earth. All of these things, I think, have have greatly changed our our understanding of the earth and given us more of a sense of place. What are the most powerful tools we have in the fight against climate change today from your perspective? That's a very good question because we, we have so much. There's so much that has been given to us. Everybody may think of, of the satellites, uh, which give us a, a synoptic view of the entire earth. And by a synoptic, I mean, it's a view of of everything almost all at once, a view that would be impossible to observe from the ground. And particularly because we're dealing with the Earth's uh, atmosphere, that type of, of view or knowledge of the Earth is absolutely essential. And we can even get synoptic views of the ocean surface from satellites. But these satellites do show us what's going on with the Earth's weather patterns from, from day to day. We get knowledge about uh, other phenomena, including agricultural conditions that are, that are really important. So, so that's a really uh, important uh, tool. And there's so many sensors that are on a particular satellite. And there's so many missions that NASA and the European Space Agency and others that we at Esri have been involved with, along with the Jet Propulsion Lab, which is the the SWAT mission, the Surface Water and Ocean Topography uh, Experiment. And what they're doing is they're documenting from satellites millimeter level changes in sea level. Mm. Uh, just absolutely stunning. And those changes, those little tiny changes in sea level are caused by greenhouse gas emissions. There's another experiment that can actually give us on a very coarse scale, a very, a very coarse, I should say, resolution, what the topography of the ocean floor is, even from, from satellites, looking at small, very, very tiny changes in sea level that are associated with changes in the Earth's uh, gravitational field. I mean, these sensors are just mind-blowing. Uh, there's another mission that's being planned right now. It's a, almost a $5 billion mission that NASA is putting together. It's called the Surface Biology and Geology Mission. And they're going to be looking at uh, ecosystems and coastal zones and natural hazards and snow and ice. And again, uh, Esri has been invited to be a partner in that. And that mission is launching in 2027. That's for for scientists, uh, technologists, but everybody can get involved with the citizen science. So 
maybe one of the most powerful ways to to counteract uh, climate change is is all of us, even just talking about it. My uh, friend and colleague, Catherine Hayhoe, who is right now, she is a UN ambassador of the environment. She's a professor at Texas Tech, just an amazing person and an amazing communicator. One of the things that she says everywhere she goes, including in a recent interview in the Rolling Stone, is that we we need to talk about it. You know, just talk mm-hmm. about climate change. Talk about what what it means, what it would mean to not have enough clean water, enough uh, clean air. What would it mean if your if your family if your family's health was at risk? If your friends, if you didn't have your friends with you because of the the changes that are taking place on this planet, these are issues that any of us hopefully can talk about regardless of what our political or religious persuasion is. And many people are coming together to to talk about these things, talk about climate change solutions through citizen science projects. And so I'll take this opportunity to talk about Earth Challenge 2020, which is it's going to be it's still it's still happening. It's going to happen virtually. And it's one of the world's largest coordinated citizen science campaigns uh, in the world. There, there are lots of fantastic things going on. But Earth Challenge 2020 is working uh, with, we are supporting them. And this is a partnership of the Earth Day Network, the U.S. Department of State, and the Wilson Center. And they now have uh, released an Earth Challenge 2020.earthday.org site. They have um, produced mobile apps so that people can collect data in their neighborhoods about air quality and plastics pollution. Those are the two issues that they're focusing on. So these are just great ways for people. They can take photos. They can talk about what they're seeing, uh, what how they feel about it, what to do about it. And that may end up being one of the most powerful ways to to counteract climate change. What change would you like to see happen before our next Earth Day, this time next year? Well, I think it's, since we were just talking about us as people, as, as individuals in our, in our communities doing our citizen science or, or talking to each other, I would just like to see all of us be better at realizing what's really important and what's not important in our lives because we're that we are being confronted with that now uh especially in lockdown you know what really what really matters and who and and, and being thankful to have our our families around us or in some cases to to not have to to travel uh to places that separate us from people that we that we love anyway if we could by this time next year, if we could be more unified, if we could have more solidarity, more compassion, more understanding uh, of each other, and certainly by next year, we will know how absolutely heroic and crucial healthcare workers are, grocery store workers, teachers, the gig economy folks, our delivery drivers, our citizen volunteers, 
all of that. That's that's one thing I'd like to see. What do you do to mark Earth Day? Is there anything special? Well, in particular now, maybe on lockdown. <laughs> I usually try to get outside and to go to uh, <laughs> a city or a local park, but <laughs> uh, I guess with, on lockdown, doing a podcast is, is it's a fantastic thing to do. <laughs> but I usually I do usually try to to get out. Uh, into into nature if if I can if I can get away on that particular day and at least I do see a lot of people in our neighborhood walking at least walking their dogs and experiencing nature in that way it's still beautiful Um, John (laughs) thank you so much for this wonderful conversation I wish us to get through this healthy and intact and stay productive (laughs) until we can all meet again (laughs) physically. Thank you very much. (laughs) Well said. Yeah, thank you so much, Mariana, and to you too, and to all of our listeners. Thank you for listening to the Esri in the Science of Wear podcast. And thanks to Don Wright for helping us see our planet, our economy, our society, and our technology in a new way, even during a challenging time. To learn more about COVID-19 resources, visit esri.com forward slash COVID-19. To learn more about location intelligence, download our ebook, Discovering the Value of Location Intelligence, at esri.com forward slash location intelligence.